how to manifest, navigating tokenism in the influencer space, and why decolonizing wellness is so important. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club. This is our monthly interview with a person we find interesting and that we think you will too. We acknowledge that the Wadawurrung and Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and would like to extend that to any First Nations people listening today. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Today we're joined by the magical Alira Potter, a Yorta Yorta person and the author of Wild and Witchy, a guide to manifesting a life of abundance. In the past two years, their Instagram has grown to over 40,000 followers. With self-love and body positivity messages and candid takes on wellness culture, Alira's corner of the internet is a truly welcoming space. Now she's helping others to heal from trauma and bring in abundance through the power of manifesting. Welcome Alira. So Alira, you're a person of many talents. How would you best describe yourself? Oh my gosh, a multifaceted human being who never stops. <laughs> That's probably like the best description. Um, yeah, I do a lot, so much. And now you've just released a book, Wild and Witchy. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I've got my book out, Wild and Witchy, at the moment. And I think it was just a book that I really envisioned that I would have wanted at a younger age. So everything from spirituality, manifestation, to things talking about relationships and friendships and love and grief. So we just like created this amazing book where people can just sort of dip in and out of. And it's, I don't know, it's just really surreal seeing my book in shops. It's so wild. Oh my God, can't imagine. What was the process like creating it all? Yeah, I mean, the process was really fun. It was overwhelming. And I mean, like, because I'm sharing so much of my life in the book, there was some parts that were pretty triggering. But um, overall, it was like a pretty crazy experience. So I'd love to hear more about how you got to the point of being an author. Like, what were you working in, doing before you um, became kind of more of a public figure and author? Yeah, I mean, I was like working in the corporate world for years and I was doing pretty much everything that I'm doing now as like a side hustle. So that was like my side thing. Um, And then a couple of years ago, I just quit my job because I thought I need to create space to do the things that I love. And those things were empowering people just to become the best versions of themselves and also the writing. So I was doing like lots of little like media writing for like publications and things like that. And um, yeah, and then I got approached to the book and I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy, but it very much aligned with what I was doing. And yeah, the rest is sort of history now. Yeah. And we're talking about that, you know, that moment where you quit your job and this will change. And in early 2020, you had around 4,000 followers. Flash forward to today, you have 44,000 followers. Um, Very lovely alignment of numbers there as well. But what's that rise in fame been like for you? Oh, it's so bizarre. Like, and all my friends that know me, like I've not changed. I'm still the same person as what I was with 4,000 followers to now. I, it's my job, social media, which is kind of crazy. Um, the fame, 
I'm still coming to sort of like, I don't understand it, but I guess I'm famous in my own little realm, which is kind of cool. But it was a lot and it still is a lot because as much as I'm an extrovert, I'm very much an introvert and I'm very much a private person as well too. So um, there's still moments where I'm adjusting and there's still moments where I'm like, oh, this is very overwhelming this industry it's very overwhelming so I'm still learning just as much as everybody else who's like currently working in the social media space when you say overwhelming do you mean just like lots of people pulling at your like lots of people wanting you and like you having to give lots of energy to other people and brands etc yeah pretty much it's sort of I really had to understand what my boundaries were I had to understand that it's okay to say no to opportunities because it will lead me to a big opportunity and that's okay. Um, I needed to have stronger boundaries on social media with people and let them understand that I'm not accessible 24-7 despite me working on social media. Um, So I really, that's where it was overwhelming and I just had to be really strong in those boundaries to be like, no, I'm not doing that and no, I'm not responding to that message. I love that because it seems like we're also attached to our phones nowadays. And I remember speaking with you a couple of months ago and you were taking a bit of a social media break. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that go? Yeah, good. Everyone should do it. (laughs) It's like, it's almost like people in our industry are a little bit scared to sort of switch off from socials because they're worried about number one engagement, number two, how am I going to make money? And it's like, no, this is the best thing that I did was switch off because we need to recharge. Otherwise we just, I don't know, we're sitting in a constant cycle of the same shit every day. And it's just like, I need a break. And I took that break. Yeah, so true. And just like, the attention economy and always you want people to like think of you first for opportunities but then you end up like not even enjoying opportunities because you just feel burnt out would you agree with that a hundred percent the burnout is real and the burnout culture is so real at the moment that it's just like be okay with saying no and be okay with switching off your phone and agreeing that you don't have to do certain things because your well-being is way more important than the money in your bank account And to switch gears a little bit here, you've spoken before about how your mum was really witchy too. Um, Would you be willing to talk to us about your relationship with her and how that fueled your spirituality? Yeah, definitely. Um, I love speaking about my mum because she played like such a big pivotal role in my existence and in my career as well too. So um, mum sadly passed when I was 17 and growing up with her, she was very, very spiritual and really witchy. She would go to these like witch circles once a week and me being a naughty teenager, I was like, I don't get it. I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're doing. Um, And it was just like a funny time because I never thought I would be in this space, but she always envisioned that I would be. So when she passed away, I got gifted a deck of her cards, like her oracle cards. And I just remember thinking, why am I getting these cards? I'm never going to use them. Mm -hmm. And I put them away at the back of a closet and I was like, I'll deal with that one day. Who knows? Maybe I'll never get around to it. And then a couple of years ago, I sort of reconnected with those cards. And I just remember thinking, mom, you knew this whole time that I was going to step into this space. You knew that I was going to like not work corporate and you knew I was going to be doing these like intuitive readings for people and things like that. So um, the connection with mom is so powerful despite her being, you know, not earth side anymore. So um, yeah, she 
played a massive role in everything that I do right now, which is crazy. And how old were you when you kind of opened up to that more spiritual side of yourself? I I mean, I've always sort of been, uh, I guess, a little bit spiritual, but I never really tapped into it probably until after I got divorced. I've lived so many lives. It's so crazy. So I think that was when I was about 26, I lent into spirituality because I was having a really tough time with alcohol and drugs a couple of years back. And I knew that I had to sort of fill that space by doing something that aligned with me and something that felt really good. And spirituality was exactly that. And so from that point, I just tapped into using those cards that mum gave me. I did spiritual development courses and then everything just opened up from there. So as someone, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners might feel the same, who is quite new to this space, you know, when I hear about oracle cards or intuitive readings, I'm a little bit lost. Can you give us a quick rundown of what that is? Yeah, I mean, so there's so many different types of decks of cards out there. And I think a lot of people get really overwhelmed with that. Firstly, I think the best advice that I can give someone who's stepping into the space is don't overwhelm yourself and just intuitively do what feels good for you within the spiritual space, because it is pretty saturated, especially on social media at the moment. Do what feels good in terms of cards and things like that. I am not specializing like tarot cards because they're so confusing. I think a lot of people would agree with me on this one. So I use oracle cards and they're like, I've just got a little deck in front of me, but like, for instance, a card will have like a word or even an affirmation on there. And some people will do readings, say like past, present, future, or they'll do what I do pretty much every day and shuffle a card, a deck of cards, and then choose one. And whatever sort of the message is, it's like my message for the day or my affirmation for the day. Otherwise, sometimes when you do decide to open up your intuition, this is where you can utilize cards to bring in messages from that sort of spiritual side or that spirit guide that's coming on in. So, um, so much to unpack with it. <laughs> so much. No, so interesting. <laughs> and uh, we were wondering as well, how does your spirituality and Indigenous culture intersect? I mean, it's, that's a good question because I think a lot of people are so interested in that. So in terms of me being Indigenous, I think a lot of us First Nations people were really born with this beautiful connection to country and a connection to spirituality as well too that a lot of people wouldn't understand in terms of it intersecting with the work that I do, I'm always implementing practices and awareness throughout everything that I do. And I'm also just utilizing, you know, Indigenous practices and tools to keep me really grounded as well too, in order for me to actually work as an individual. So you know how some people are like, I've got to go out in nature and get grounded so then they feel connected. I do that, but I do that on a deeper level. Mm. So I have a deeper connection to country, which is really powerful. How was it also growing up in Geelong? How have you, um, and you know, you're still living there now. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I suppose I'm a Geelong local. I've been here for nearly 15 years, but I grew up in like suburban Melbourne um, as like the only black kid. And it was interesting to say the least, very interesting. Um, Having moved to Geelong, yeah, like 15 years ago, it was almost like I stepped back in time because Geelong wasn't a progressive town at all in terms of the queer space as well too and then just cultures and ethnicities it's changed a little bit now but um 
it's in, it's still an interesting town. It's just it's very white. <laughs> it's very white. <laughs> and speaking of queerness, you use she they um, pronouns. How has it been um, embracing your queerness over the years and um, kind of putting that out there alongside your image? Yeah, I mean it's been so crazy. It's been amazing, and I I wanted to sort of put I guess my sexuality out there to normalize it to people that it's okay to just not love one particular gender that it could be energy that you're absolutely attracted to as I sort of started evolving as a human I tapped more and more into who I was and what I wanted to be and that's when I initially chose my pronouns as she and her and I was like yep that's it like I'm born as a woman that's it I'm gonna stick with those pronouns and then I think it was probably maybe like maybe 18 months ago I was out with my friend Denny and we're having a really in-depth discussion about our pronouns and I just looked at them and I was like I think my pronouns need to change I think they need to be she and they and Denny was like let's go keep unpacking and I was like there are some mornings that I wake up and I don't want to attach a gender to how I'm feeling or what I'm wearing or how I'm acting. And that's when I was like, I'm dropping the hair and I'm putting a they in there because I 100% am embodying me being gender fluid because some days I wake up and I'm really feminine, some days I'm really masculine, but I just didn't want to label it as anything. So I think that's been a really interesting journey for me and I've loved sharing it on my socials because I just get messages from people being like, I never really thought of it like that. Like, this is unreal. Like, this is beautiful. So it's been pretty powerful and pretty special the last couple of years. I love the way that you talk about it and it feels super empowering and feels like that you are really entering your own. But was it always that, I guess, sunshine, sunshine moment? Were you nervous? Because I think Jazz and I have both talked about, um, you know, queerness for ourselves and there was a lot of apprehension and fear attached to that Mm -hmm. as well um I mean I suppose there was a little bit of hesitation sort of really understanding my sexuality and being okay with you know liking people for their energy rather than the gender because I was married at such a young age and divorced at a really young age as well too I sort of was like oh I'm worried about what people are going to say and then I just got to a point where I was like you know what people don't have to understand but they need to respect me and that's okay so when I explained to my family that you know I love everybody I love people I don't just love men they were like yeah cool onto the next subject like no one cared everyone was like as long as you're happy that's fine that's all we care about so I think my queer experience has been an absolute blessing and I'm so grateful for that. And alongside that, you're also known for your work in the body positivity space. What does true self-love look like to you? I mean, for me, it's really showing up in this world and loving me for me and being okay with that little bit of extra body weight that I've got, you know, down in my tummy, that it's okay and that I don't need to change anything about my body for anyone. Um, So I think that's what self-love sort of really is embodied for me it's just loving me for me and not worrying about what other people think so yeah I mean self-love it's not linear is it body positivity it's not linear like we are constantly evolving it's like it's crazy yeah and I think these words are always thrown around on social media and we've been talking a lot more about you know body positivity and such could you take us through your journey with that as well 
Yeah, I mean, my journey is a big one and it's still going now as a 31-year-old. I'm having days where I'm not loving my body and there's days where I'm loving my body. But I think it all began probably in high school where I did struggle with my identity, being the only person of colour in high school and being the heavier kid as well too. Um, because back then, I guess all we saw, we would know women in magazines who were a size 6 and a size 8 and that was the norm. And if you didn't look like that, then there was something wrong with you. So I think high school is where it started because I was severely bullied and I think that has impacted my whole journey because I really struggled to love who I was. It wasn't until maybe my early 20s I started to just be like, it's cool. It's okay that you've got these bits and bobs here and it's okay that you've got cellulite and it's okay that you've got stretch marks. Like it's so fine. And I really had to implement, you know, affirmations as positive affirmations every day. And I had to start to surround myself with people who really weren't high maintenance and didn't really like care about, oh, them looking a little bit off one day. And I think that's where my journey sort of really shifted and changed. And then probably the last two years, that's where I've really, I don't know, like my social media feed has completely changed because I want to follow people who look like me. I want to follow people who really love themselves. And I want to just follow diverse people as well too. So um, the journey's been a big one and it's probably going to be an even big one for the rest of my life. So yeah, it's not linear. <laughs> <laughs> well, completely. And I think I find it so limiting when people, you know, flat out are like social media is just bad for body image and it's bad for self-worth because I do think, I mean, it depends where you're looking, but it can be a source of not only inspiration, but I guess body acceptance. And when you do kind of curate your feed to be, um, reflective of yourself and something that you look forward to looking at um, rather than something that you know makes you feel bad I think there's power in that but I don't know if I'm just being too optimistic Um, do you have thoughts around that no I think you're so right in saying that like I think I say to young girls social media yes it can be damaging in some regard but we have the power to curate our feeds and to follow the right individuals. So I think if people are doing that, then that's where we can change our mindset around, okay, I need to see like different bodies in my feed, diverse bodies, bodies that are bigger, whatever it may be. So I think 100% change that feed, change that social media feed. It's like there's power in social media. Totally. And you also speak a lot um, and very openly about decolonizing wellness. Can you tell us a bit more about what that looks like and why it's so important to you? Yeah, I mean, me working in the wellness space, both on a level of me, you know, representing brands with active wear or putting protein powders on my social media, all the way down to me being an energy healer. That's all wellness. Me stepping into this space, I knew that I could be a little bit of a game changer in terms of, firstly, a, a black person in the whitewash wellness space. Amazing. Secondly, I wanted to bring more cultural awareness into the wellness space because I think there's been so many rituals and practices by a lot of white people that have no education around where things actually coming from. And the other thing too was there was no cultural safety as well. Especially like I remember walking into my first yoga lesson and being like, 
where's the cultural safety? Why am I the only black person in this class right now? What's happening? This is bizarre. So I think decolonizing these spaces is really important just by doing like those tiny little things in order to create change and make sure that people feel safe walking into these spaces. Is that what you mean by cultural safety? Making sure Mm -hmm. that like lots of different cultures feel safe and seen yeah a hundred percent I mean like prime example walking into say a fitness studio isn't it great if you see an acknowledgement of country on the side of the wall for an indigenous person that indicates to them that it's a safe space it's the same if there's like a little rainbow flag for the queer community to be like this is a safe space for you to walk into so I think just those little things make it a-okay for people to be like I'm in, I'm in a safe space. I'm going to be okay in this space. So I think, yeah, that's really important. Mm. And especially on, again, social media, you work so much with brands, especially in this wellness space, like you just mentioned there. How has that experience been, especially, yeah, in the past couple of years? Have you seen a progression of brands being more aware of cultural like sensitivity and safety? Do you think it's working has it been performative where do you mm-hmm. see this fit I mean there's still brands that are very performative isn't there we won't name yeah. them but um 100% so performative but having said that I always use this brand as an example so a couple of years ago Lululemon reached out to me and they were like we want to work with you we think you're great and I was like firstly I'm a size 18 secondly I'm black Thirdly, I've never walked into your stores before. And the guy was just sitting there on the video call like, you're right, you're so right. And I was like, why would I promote something that I'm not like embodying Mm. and something that you're not embodying as a brand? I said, come back to me when you've done better. Two years later, I did a little post last year and that was me being like, yep, I've given the okay because I went back and forth for years being like, I need to see change. I need to see bigger bodies like represented in your feed. And they did. They started showing up a little bit more and they started utilising First Nations models. They started, you know, saying, yep, we go up to a size 18. I was like, perfect. I'm going to work with you because number one, that's like you guys showing that you have changed and you've listened to me. And number two, this is me decolonizing the wellness space. Mm. So important. And yeah, especially when it comes to things like rainbow capitalism and then post Black Lives Matter movement, you just have to be so careful with these brands, I can imagine. So careful. And I think that's what I think that's what sets me apart from a lot of I guess the influencers in this space in quotation marks is I actually do my research on a brand I actually work with the brand for months before I even promote it on my feed I go back and forth with my manager we make sure they haven't had any like bad press associated with them we make sure that that views like black people in the past and it's not a tokenistic sort of thing that they're utilizing me for so I think it's, it's important especially in this industry like I'm I think I'm a conscious content creator in that respect too Mm. And I love the fact that when you're talking about decolonializing wellness, it's important because you're paying it the respect that it deserves. I think when people kind of critique woo-woo culture Mm -hmm. and kind of minimize it to this throwaway thing, it's so disrespectful for, you know, traditions and practices that have been around for, you know, so long. So yeah, just wanted to add that. 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think I had that conversation with like a yoga teacher in Geelong. I was like, I know you're a yoga teacher. I know you've got your qualification, but like, tell me more. Do you actually know where yoga has stemmed from? Mm -hmm. Do you actually know the rituals that you're doing before each practice? And I was like, do you know that you shouldn't be using Palo Santo during your practices because that's cultural appropriation? And I just remember her being like, oh, never thought of it like that. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, there you go. Take, you know, whatever advice you want to take from me right now because I think we do need to see change. Mm, It is so important. I remember I was in Bondi a few weeks ago and I went to a yoga class and it was obviously I'm white as well, but it was only white people, like maybe 40 white Mm -hmm. people um, and the white, a white instructor from America. And she's, I was like, okay, here we are in Bondi. But then she started doing the kind of like Indian traditional chants and I felt super Mm. uncomfortable, like the the oms and stuff. And I was like, does she have permission from a culture to do this? Like she was also burning Palo Santo. And I was like, oh, this feels so icky when it was meant to be like a relaxing Sunday. Um, So those conversations I think are so important in so many spaces, like offline as well as online on social media. Yeah, I agree Mm. completely. I think it's so important. And I know I feel icky when yoga teachers do that. And I don't even say namaste at the end of the practice anymore because I'm like, "Mm, that's not my word to say. Right. Mm. That doesn't belong to me. No. Yeah. I'm glad that we're bringing up this conversation around cultural appropriation. And I think, you know, we love our culture club listeners and they are a smart bunch who want to do good. I'm just going to <laughs> blanket put it out there. But the thing is, I think it can be hard to navigate this sometimes mm-hmm. and people just don't know where to start or what's right and what's not. I mean, mm-hmm. do you have advice around that? I know this is such a big convo, but yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, definitely. I think my best advice is be uncomfortable with understanding that you don't know everything and get comfortable in being like, yep, cool, no worries, like I'm going to do better and that's okay. I think there's a real beauty in acknowledging that you don't know everything and that you may have like fucked up in the past and that's a-okay, but get comfortable in being like, yep, I am going to do better and that's okay. I would love to go back to manifesting. I'm such a big mm-hmm. manifester, grew up around positive affirmations and um, kind of working towards your dreams. But there is a kind of interesting conversation happening, especially on TikTok at the moment, which is mm-hmm. people saying that manifesting kind of also relates to that like disparaging of woo-woo culture, right? And mm-hmm. kind of just saying that manifesting is just privilege in action. Like you didn't really manifest mm-hmm. that. You manifested it because you're a white young pretty woman etc mm-hmm. um how do you feel about these conversations that are happening around manifesting and what do you say to people who believe that because obviously privilege does play a big factor in mm-hmm. achieving things but yeah what do you say to those things yeah a hundred percent I had someone actually slide into my dms recently and being like you're coming from a place of privilege being able to manifest and I'm like yeah I am mm-hmm. I actually am But I also had to say to that person, it's actually, it's a belief for me and that should be respected. And I explained to the person that I came from a really poor background. I had a single mum. And so learning to manifest was a way for me to secure that I knew that things were coming to me and that it's a-okay. So I think, yeah, it does come from a place of privilege, but it's also a personal belief that somebody has. And if they believe that it works, then it works for them. And I think that's where it should be respected. I totally agree with that. Yeah, Jazz has always been someone um, in my life who has 
very big into manifestation and I'm someone who just wants to learn more but um, I've never really you know especially growing up I was never exposed to it um, perhaps in smaller ways but never explicitly so I'm wondering if you can provide some tips and advice um, around meditation that we can yeah we can learn from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like manifesting, it's so easy, I feel like it is easy. But I mean, that's me being like years of practice. (laughs) I think there's sort of ways in which that you can manifest and bring in things by changing our mindsets a little bit in the mornings and like having those positive affirmations, not in a way that it's like a toxic positivity or something like that, but just in a way where we're waking up and we're saying something nice to ourselves. Um, I always love the old writing it down on a piece of paper when we're manifesting and just letting the universe do its thing. I think that's really important to acknowledge that you're worthy of being open to receiving as well too. And I think the whole worthiness self-worth does come into play hugely when you're manifesting. So just understand that you have the capability to bring in absolutely anything that you desire because I'm like manifesting is you curating and creating your own reality and your own existence. So if you firmly believe that you're able to allow $5,000 to come into your bank account, then it's coming your way. Yeah. And I think it also manifestation also challenges our um, love around instant gratification. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I manifest things and then, cause you've like, let it go. Right. And then you forget yeah. about it. And then Maggie will be like, Oh my God, we got invited to like this thing or we're going to do this. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's what I wanted like three or four months ago, but you just kind yeah. of let it go and then it will come back to you. And I love those little moments where you're like, Oh, thank you universe. Like it may not have been instant, but it got there in the end. Exactly. And that's why I think the beauty of manifesting, it's like, okay, it may not come tomorrow, it may not come next month, it may come in a couple of years and that's cool. We've just got to sit back and like hang tight. Totally. Oh, I love it. Um, I'm not too sure if manifestation is like, do you know when you blow out the candles on a birthday cake and you're not supposed to tell people the secret that you made? <laughs> I don't know if it's something that you share, you don't like, or you don't disclose, but just generally as well, like this year, what do you have in store? Like what would you love to, I guess, do this year as well? Um, this year, I actually want to slow down this year. I really like, I've got it on my manifesting board at the moment and it's like, slow down and be present. Um, and just do more things for me. Cause I feel like I've output so much energy the last two years to everybody else mm. that I haven't had a hot minute to appreciate everything that's happened. And I haven't had a hot minute to just slow on down. So that's what I'm hoping this year brings. Oh, so beautiful. And I want to know, like, I want to hear about your ideal day. Let's say it's a Sunday. You've you've woken up in Geelong. What does that look like for you? Oh, my gosh. I am such a simple gal. Like, a beautiful ideal day for me is, like, like, getting up, taking Cosmo for a walk, going down to my favourite cafe, which my friend owns, and just having, like, a big brunch then coming home and like putting Netflix on for the rest of the day. Like that is the ideal Sunday for me or the ideal day. Like slowness is like perfection for me. Simple pleasures. And I think that's something that I've learned a lot uh, post pandemic is, and also since learning meditation more recently um, is like finding those little moments of joy. We kind of spoke about it on our last guest chat with Wendy Seifert, but like, you can create your dream day right now. You don't have to wait for some mm. like 
moment in the future because when you appreciate the little things like going to your friend's cafe or just putting Netflix on and having nowhere else to be, more kind of abundance comes into your life because you're like mm-hmm. gra- grateful for those little things and life just exactly. feels easier, right? I love that. Exactly that. It's like those simple, beautiful pleasures and just like sit back and the universe will like gift you what you need to be gifted. Mm. I love this outpouring of gratitude. I was, you know, we, we were having a busy day at work and feeling a little bit like ugh, in a slump, but this has really just lifted me. Yay. So thank you so much for this, Alira. Um, I know we are talking about the small things, but I also mm-hmm. want to know what are you proudest of yourself for? Um, I think like at this present moment, I'm really proud that I'm still here and I'm still like living and thriving. A couple of years ago, I was really unwell mentally and I didn't want to be earthside at all, but I pushed through that. And here I am just like absolutely living my best life. And I'm just so like grateful for that and so proud of that. Oh my gosh, making me tear up. That's really, really beautiful. And yeah, so important. Yeah. Well, that was a beautiful chat. Thank you so much for your time. And if people want to learn more about you or chat with you more, where can they find you? Um, Instagram at the moment, just alira.potter. But there's big things coming. I'm about to release some like coaching for people. And like, yeah, so there's big things coming. So yeah, find me on Instagram. (laughs) So exciting. Perfect. We'll talk to you later. Thank you.